guys. Welcome back to Talking with TK. I'm your host, Tristan Cannell, episode 71 of the podcast. And our special guest today is none other than Newcastle Knights legend, Mark Hughes. Mark's got an incredible story, which you will share on the, the podcast today, from growing up in Curry Curry to setting the world on fire as a, just a young bloke. He, he got in that 1997 team, you know, arguably... You know, one of the great grand finals of all time when they snatched victory from Manly in that, that last dying second. So an amazing game. And he was also a premiership winner in 2001 when they beat Parramatta as well. So he's just got an amazing story. Considering what he has gone through with the brain cancer and the way he's bounced back from that and all the community work he's doing at the moment to raise awareness and support for, you know, such an, a needy area at the moment. You know, brain cancer... In cancer in general, it's just one of those things that, you know, if we can eventually find a cure, it'd be an amazing thing for society. So guys, please get behind the Mark Hughes Foundation. You can find out more information at www.markhughesfoundation.com.au. Give them a follow across all the social media channels. Facebook, they're Mark Hughes Foundation. Twitter is Mark Hughes Foundation. And Instagram is the Mark Hughes Foundation. Now, we've just had week one of the NRL. What an incredible opening round. If you're a Knights fan, which I'm sure a lot of you are out there, congratulations. And it was fantastic to see you guys winning Golden Point. You know, you've you suffered for a long, long time. You're one of the great clubs in the NRL. Even though I'm a Sharkies fan, I was rooting for you guys on Friday night and really glad that Mitchell Pierce brought you home. And I'm wishing you guys all the, the best and success for a great 2018. If you're first time here or if you're a regular and you haven't yet, please subscribe to the show via iTunes and please leave me a five-star review. Really helps me get seen in more of the rankings and get seen by more people and I can spread the word of great people like Mark Hughes. If you haven't got access to iTunes, you can catch it all on things like Overcast or Stitcher or I've got it all online on my website, www.talkingwithtk.com. You'll find show notes, episode guides, an audio player so you'll never miss an episode there. Please connect with me online, Twitter, Facebook, I'm at Talking with TK. Instagram, I'm Tristan Nell. Or please send through any guest requests. Or if you just want to have a chat or a yarn, send it through at Tristan at TalkingWithTK.com. I've recently also joined the Cronulla Sharks Fantasy Footy Show, which we're running through the club's website and Facebook channels. We're on on a Wednesday night. It's on at 5.30 p.m. And it's constantly, it's just on there on demand as well once the show is complete. But if you're into your fantasy footy or you just love to hear a bit of a yarn about not only Cronulla Sharks but across the whole NRL, we're going to have it all covered on there. So please check it out, support the cause and, you know, as I always say about getting in touch, get in touch, let me know how I can prove that show as well. All right, guys, really excited to bring this episode to you and I introduce Mark Hughes. All right, guys, my special guest is Mark Hughes. Mark is a former professional player for the Newcastle Knights. Two premierships, 1997 and 2001. Also made his representative debut in 2001 for the New South Wales Blues. Away from the game, his own personal story. I've seen him open the Mark Hughes Foundation. And he was also recently the 2018 Newcastle Citizen of the Year. Welcome to the podcast, Mark Hughes. Hey, Tristan. Great to be here, mate. Absolute pleasure, mate. uh, When I was growing up, you know, you were one of the guys that... You and Matt Gidley, actually, were my two favourite centre pairings. Cause <laughs> I grew up, obviously, well, idolising E.T., so once yeah. he retired, 
I needed someone else to take over the, the reins, <laughs> so I picked you two boys. Oh, that's, that's good to hear, and uh, yeah, what an awesome player ET was, eh? And um, yeah, it was good to play rugby league in a great era, lots of wonderful players out there, and we, uh, we had a really great team as well, which was good. Yeah, before we get to the footy, just congratulations, you know, it's a, it's a huge honour for you to be the citizen of the year, and obviously just rewards for you and Kiralee with all the work that you, you guys do with the foundation. So let's start there with the foundation, because I know that's something that's, that's huge to your heart. Can we just chat about exactly when you started it and the purpose behind it? Yeah, so uh, in um, about August 2013, I was um, 36 years of age and three children and mm. um, sort of out of nowhere had really bad headaches. So um, went to the doctors and we got a scan and sort of from there sort of all hell broke loose. Um, Went to John Hunter Hospital, uh, had my tumour removed, had radiation and chemotherapy. So, uh, you know, your life it can change so quickly. And that's a, a really good example of that. And um, out of that, uh, Kiralee and I knew that um, brain cancer just wasn't, didn't have the awareness and the, you know, you didn't hear much about it. So we wanted to raise the profile, raise funds for yeah. research. You know, brain cancer is the biggest cancer killer of uh, people 40 years and under and children 10 and under. So it's a really serious disease. So uh, we had to, you know, get off our backsides and try and make a difference. Yeah. When, when you were going in, you know, you spoke about just the headaches. You know, sometimes you know something's wrong. Did you get that sense at all? It was, it was really intense headaches. Yeah, I, I just thought it was a migraine though. But I think as soon as I went to my local doctor, he, I think he, had a, he sort of had a hunch what it was. Mm. So... Uh, really scary stuff, you know. It's um, you just don't expect it, you know. You, you know, you don't expect that to happen when you're at that age or any age, and uh, yeah, it's quite confronting. Mm. How big was the tumor? Oh, it was, it was they were calling it like the size of an avocado, so it was fairly si- sizable. Um, our doctor did a wonderful job, removed the tumor, and we had our treatments. And um, you know, I just um, you know, I've got to get a scan next week. I uh, mm. have, have a scan every four months, so. They come around pretty quick, actually. Yeah, my mum's, you know, gone through the whole treatment with breast cancer before, and she was one of the lucky survivors and things like that. Yeah. You know, I can remember when she came home and told us for the first time, it was, you know, it was quite shocking. And, you know, we were adults. How long did it take for you to tell your children? Uh, look, in some ways, they were, they were probably too young to really um, digest all that stuff. They certainly know about it, and... Um, but yeah, look at the time they were pretty young, and I, and I was very positive. Um, the way I carried myself around the house uh, was very important mm. uh, for them and for my wife, and so I made a real conscious effort to be positive and um, you know look on the on the positive side of things. Yeah, it would have been so easy to get down on yourself though. Where did that kind of positive side come from? Yeah, look, um, if you get bogged down in in deep thought and, and you think too much. Uh, you will bring yourself down. So yeah. I had to realise I had to control my thought process. I had to um, really be conscious not to drift into those types of thoughts and try and remain positive. Mm-hmm. And you find that uh, you do become your thoughts. If you're a negative, if you're thinking negative all the time, you're a negative person. If you're if you're a funny guy, you're always you know you're on the lighter side of things. So you control your thoughts, and that 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 ends up eventually sort of the person you are. So I. I had, to, I had to have positive thoughts. I had to focus on the foundation where we were trying to raise, um, you know, for, for, our, um, 
for our research mm. and for our awareness. Um, so that was a positive focus. Yeah, you know, you spoke about you know having to do your tests every four months, but you know, for the time being, everything's okay. What was your mindset like when the doctor told you for the first time that things were okay? Um, well, it was yeah, it was obviously very happy. You know, that things are good. But in saying that, um, it's uh, you know you. You sort of win the first battle, but the war really has just begun. Mm. Uh, brain cancer is a really tough disease. And, um, you know, I see it all the time that people in the prime of their life struck down and then six, nine months later they're gone, you know, from nowhere. It's just, it can tear families apart. So I'm very grateful, um, but also know that, um, you know, each scan I need to get that tick and then continue on with my life, yeah. Mm. Mark used before and after, you know, you just spoke about gratitude. Yep. And I'm sure that mindfulness would have been a huge thing that you would have learnt during this whole period as well. What were the biggest changes that happened during the treatment for you? Uh, I think um, I, we, I tried to make conscious effort not to look too far ahead now and really focus on the now mm. and, and, and be great, grateful and appreciative and, and do good things. And I say to people, um, you know, if you got diagnosed with um, high-grade brain cancer, would your next 12 months be any different, you know? And yeah. people sort of keep putting things off and, you know, we'll do it next year or we'll do it a couple of years' time and they keep holding off and holding off when maybe they should be making an effort to do it now. Mm. And um, that's what I think does, when you get cancer, it does um, ensure that you, in some ways, live a more fulfilling life right for now. So that's certainly something that we've done. Yeah, Mark, have you ever read the book The Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle? No, no. It's a very interesting book. It's just like what you've just said about staying in the moment yeah, and not looking too far ahead and just concentrating. Yeah, just oh, in be, the, yeah. yeah definitely if I find it in my collection, I'll send it up Yeah, to you. yeah. Um, it's, it, it's so true um, where we just continually look far, too far forward and, and worry about things in the, in the future when we should be focusing on the present and focusing, focusing on now. So this could be the best time of your life. And Absolutely. You, you might not even be present you might be worrying about two years time you know time of your life i want to talk to you about your recent trip to everest because from what i've seen on social media and online the trip looked absolutely outstanding can we just start from the start where how it all came together yeah so uh great uh, mates and former teammates paul harrigan and billy peden a couple of years ago planned said that we need to do a, a fundraising uh, adventure yep so we did uh Kokoda, which was an amazing trip mm-hmm. you know that was just just a brilliant trip um, we had 19 people. We raised about, I think, $150,000 for the foundation. Um, and we had such a wonderful time, we needed to do it again. So this year we, did, we chose Base Camp Everest. Mm-hmm. We had about 28 people this time. Um, I had a lot of my former teammates come as well, uh, blokes like um, you know Matt and Kurt Gidley and Danny Vadiris and uh, Paul Harrigan and Billy Peden. Um, I know I've left out quite a few. Um, Matt Johns, yeah. you know. So I had, had, a, had an awesome crew and just some great people that, that came along as well. Everyone paid their way yep. um, and they all, we all went about raising money. And, and um, you know, thanks to the help of a former teammate, Adam McDougal from the Manshake, who mm. put in $100,000 and NIB were amazing as well. We ended up uh, with $500,000 raised, which was just a huge effort. And then to get on that track and, um, you know, just seeing all the people doing it and mm. you're just taking one step after the other. And I, I, sp- I spoke about not getting too far ahead of yourself or you didn't want to look up 
because you had too far to go. So you're just taking that step by step, one step at a time, and you learn a lot about patience because you can't go too quick up there because yeah. of the altitude and it starts to play games. So you've got to go really steady and slow. It gives you a lot of time on the mountain to think. Are you kind of like one by one? How do you, you're in a group? Sometimes you're across or sometimes you're single file. Yep. A lot of times you could get, break into a two or three man and you'd just be chatting and talking about old stories and having fun yeah. and, and learning about people. Um, and just the, the power of being in a team and yep. you know getting up early and going and laughing and uh, getting caught up in that team environment again is something that everyone absolutely loved. And... You know, it got really tough and a few guys got sick at the end and it quite got scary, but the group pulled together and we helped each other and, um, you know, we all got there. Yeah, what's it like when you first see Everest kind of in the in the background? It's a bit it? surreal. Yeah. Like, you just you just got so much to look at. You've got all these enormous mountains everywhere. Yeah. With snow on them. And you're just forever looking and, and, and really absorbing all the amazing scenery. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's certainly, uh, I'm glad I've seen it with my own eyes. And um, I would recommend to anyone, it's, it's another thing that you might be putting off. Mm. And there's probably never a perfect right time to do it, but you just, you just do it. There's a point in your life where you say, I'm just going to do it. What's tougher, physically or mentally there? Uh, I think probably mentally. Yeah. 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 Just the... You know, the grinding um, of, of walking, and um, but the altitude stuff's probably what really plays tricks. What did you actually do for preparation in the lead-up? Uh, look, we did some walking and training. Yeah. you just got to be fit, and it's yep. a bit of a luck of the draw how you're going to handle the altitude. And, you know, you meet some, some locals that are so tough, you know. They're carrying massive piles of uh, food and everything up the mountain. They've got a smile from ear to ear. Uh, we have all the good equipment. They just have, you know, the basics and... Yep. Geez, they're, they're very grateful um, and just happy people, you know, and you learn a lot from those guys. They haven't got much either, but they, they couldn't be happier. Yeah, Mark, you know, you mentioned before all the footy boys that had come on the trip. You know, you guys had been retired for a little while now. Was it kind of like deja vu going back to the training days and being with the boys and trying to accomplish something? Yeah, like a oh, that's, that's, that was the attraction of it all, yeah, is the, the being back in that team environment, you know, with spending a couple of weeks away with no real mobile phones yeah. with these guys that you played and achieved so much with um, and and just some like I said just supporters of the foundation that come so we were one big group of people and we just had so many stories to share um, so much fun to be had yeah. and yeah you're just in that team and you're, you're working for each other you know you have your break you go again have your break it's um yeah it's it's awesome yeah mark you mentioned so many of the players that played in that first grand final the first grand final win for the whole city yeah is that why you guys are so tight does it winning a grand final especially the first one does that bring a different combination compared to any of the other teams that you've played with uh, i think yeah i think that um that first one in particular, yeah, very special group. Um, you know, pretty much all locals um, still living in the area. And, yeah, it is a special bond you take. But I think any t anyone that wins a premiership or does something special in sport, you've got that uh, bond. And, like, even if it's, um, you know, it's, it's third grade um, soccer over 35s or whatever, you've, you've just got that spe – you've done something special together. And it, it does uh, when you meet. And you mightn't meet – every Saturday, but it's yep. when you meet, you, you, you just enjoy each other's company, you re reminisce, and yeah. that, that's, um, that's what the beauty of sport, and uh, anyone that's played at any level, particularly team sport, yep. you just know that you've got that special relationship with those people, and um, 
um, to to win a comp with those fellas was was definitely special. So it's always uh, awesome to, to to meet up and um, and. Guys, we hope you're enjoying the episode with Mark Hughes. Just wanted to bring you a quick preview of our last episode, and that was with Sydney Swans legend Wayne Swass. And here is a quick preview. You know, prior to you actually getting the help with the psychiatrist, with those, that dark period that you actually went through, what was it that actually got you through that period? It's a great question. Um, I had two people in my life that that never gave up when I had given up. I mean, from 1993 until 2000, uh, sorry, 1993 until 1997, I was I was very suicidal. Um, but thankfully, my wife and my doctor at my previous football club, North Melbourne, um, they were the two people that effectively kept me engaged and made sure, made sure that my life didn't go down a particular path, which would have meant that I wouldn't be doing this interview with you now. So I, I was lucky. I had two key people that, that never gave up when, when I thought that the only option I had was to make a permanent decision to a temporary situation. Guys, please go back and check out the episode. Please support Wayne on his suicide prevention bike ride as well. He'll be riding from the SCG to Etihad Stadium in Melbourne. That'll be between the 16th and 23rd of March. So catch more information at www.puckerup.com. Guys, if it's your first time here, please subscribe to the show via iTunes, Stitcher, Overcast, or you'll find it all online at www.talkingwithtk.com. Now back to the show. I want to take you back to Curry Curry in just a sec, but I'm looking at something on my mind. It's always just intrigued me. Yeah. Who nicknamed you Boozy? And uh, what's the story behind yeah. it? Ah, uh, look, um... 1997 we won the comp and I was only 20 and I was just so happy it was about my 10th first grade game yeah. I was just so happy to be there and couldn't believe I was there to be honest and um, and look a couple of things happened probably the one that gets spoken about a bit was one night me and uh, Paul Harrigan our fearless leader was at a night at a at a pub it was a 24 hour pub about yeah. four, three or four days after the uh, end of the um, celebrations probably in midweek mm-hmm. and um Chief fell asleep on a stool in this uh, karaoke place and he and it was right in front of the toilet door and people couldn't get in the toilet and so I, I put him over my arm and I stood up and um, everyone pretty much gave Big Chief a big uh, rousing reception <laughs> and we sort of wobbled out and um, I sort of fell onto the footpath and got him out. So that was um, me helping out my, my captain, which was awesome. Um, and I think it was Troy Fletcher just sort of changed it. It's, um, you know, it's not Husey, it's going to be boozy, and that's how it stuck. Fantastic. So it's, uh, it was a, yeah, you know, it's a, bit, it's a funny nickname. Um, a few of the boys still call me it, but uh, it's probably not warranted these days. Well, you, you can't know. drink much anymore, can you? No, well, look, I still enjoy the good things in life and, yeah. you know, live for the moment and uh, enjoy a few drinks and that, but mm. you just get a lot more selective and... Mm. Um, you know, than when you're a young guy. <laughs> well, thanks for clarifying that story for me, man. <laughs> yeah. All right, just taking you back to Curry Curry because it's not that far from Newcastle, is it? What is it about a forty minutes? Yeah, it's only forty minutes. Yeah. Yeah. What was it like growing up in Curry Curry? Oh, it was awesome. Um, you know, it didn't. We're only forty minutes from Newcastle, but we wouldn't come into town too often. We'd mm. just uh, we'd be out there. We'd be playing rugby league in winter, uh, cricket in summer. Yep. You know, that was probably the main things to do and. I just um, love doing that, you know, love, grew up on sport, mm-hmm. um, 
as a young footballer, I was, you know, I wasn't anywhere near, you know, Newcastle Knights juniors, you know, I was way off that. Yep. So, but I stuck to my guns and, and kept working at it hard and eventually a couple of lucky breaks came uh, when I was about 18 years old okay. um, where I was in the Curry first grade team. We won the grand final against West Newcastle, a bit of a big thing. Mm. And um, I was on the wing in that game and got a trial for the 21. So it all sort of turned around quite quickly from there for me. Yeah, just, you know, you mentioned you were in first grade at 18. Was that a huge building block for you, the fact that you got to play against men? Yeah, yeah. Look, I see a lot of the kids and they, they go through this junior system and they get in that sort of bubble and where they may even think they've sort of made it. But mm. I went that different path and I was in there playing grade against good, tough men. Um, there was a guy named Steve Lenane who played a lot of first grade. There was sprinkling of blokes that have played in the NRL and just real tough local players. Mm. And to be a part of that, I'm so grateful because it certainly installed the toughness and everything in me to... Uh, to, to, to what was to follow. Yeah, you know, you just mentioned wing, but, you know, at first grade level, you're a great fullback and a great centre. If Mark Hughes had to pick one position to play, what was your preferred? Jeez, that's, it's hard. I, I always liked that flexibility, you know, yeah. when someone was injured, I could slot in, and, you know, we had uh, Robbie R. Davis, an amazing fullback, and I would slot in when he was out, and he yeah. had a few long-term injuries, so I, I had some really good spells at fullback. And then... Um, I played, you know, a lot of centre with Matt Gidley on the other centre. Mm. Really uh, had a great combination there with, um, you know, we had, uh, in, you know, obviously Andrew Johns at halfback. Um, I had Adam McDougall outside me a lot of the times, who was amazing to play with. Um, so, yeah, I can't, I don't really say fullback or centre. Mm. It, they both gave me um, a lot of great success. You know, I played centre for both grand finals um, and a fullback for New South Wales. So... Yeah, it was. Uh, I was lucky to have a bit of flexibility there. I think. Yeah. So, Mark, you get picked up by the Knights straight out of the grand final. How was who? Who came up to you? Did they offer you a contract straight away? Um, so, a local Curry guy was involved. Peter Brady, Curry legend. He he was involved in coaching the Twenty Ones Knights. Yep. So he said, "Come and trial." I went and trialed Twenty Ones. Uh, I also then, at the same time, got a, a really uh, good offer from uh, the Hunter Mariners at the okay. time. So I finally getting a chance here in the Knights, which I'd sort of dreamed of, and then the Mariners came in with a really good offer, and it was like, what should I do? But I thankfully stuck with the uh, Knights um, offer. Why'd you pick the Knights? Just me gut feel. Like, you know, the, the other one, I would have been money and stuff. This was just to play an opportunity yep. with the Knights, so I, I took that. And I had a year in 96 with the 21s, mm-hmm. um, and, you know, life uh, can change pretty quickly, and it did for me. Um, in uh, for the '97 preseason, um, the first com- uh, first uh, the night they started training in '97, which would have been late '96, uh, I was at home watching TV, and the, the, the nights come on the sport that they'd started training, and I wasn't there, so that was a bit of a concern because <laughs> yeah. I for what's happened. So I made some calls and I've got myself back on in a trial for the reserve grade team in '97. And thankfully, um, you know, things cha- went really well from there. And I, before I knew it, I was at uh, Sydney Football Stadium in 97 um, playing against Manly. Yeah, so what happened in that time when you saw them training on TV? What was the reason why you weren't caught up? Just some lack of communication. Okay. And I wasn't, I, I wasn't had a contract, so I, I was lingering. But, I, yeah, I didn't, hadn't got the tap on the shoulder yeah. at that point. Um, so for one reason or another, yeah, I wasn't at, the tr- at their first training, so... 
Um, you know, that's so, you know, things can change. And um, I got me opportunity. I took it with both hands and uh, everything else worked out really well. Mm. Mark, who else was in the 21s at the time? Uh, Danny Badiris yeah. um, was the name, of course, everyone knows. But he wasn't a hooker at the time, was nah, he? No, he was sort of mixing around positions as well. Yeah. Bit of halfback, 5'8", bit of centre. <laughs> <laughs> so I think, um, yeah, in my in 96, Danny Badiris is the name that everyone would know. And we had some other great players that went on to play a lot of local league and stuff. Yeah, yeah. and then obviously you make your first grade debut, I think it was around 9 or 11 against Gold Coast. Yeah. And that was yep. up there in yep. Gold Coast yep. too, wasn't it? Yeah, flogging down rain. Um, Saturday night, I think back then you would sit on the bench, so you would play your reserve grade game, then yep. you'd sit on the bench, it was raining, it was cold, Gold Coast weren't very fancied back then, and I think they were beating the night, beating us 18-0 after about 15 Yeah, I think oh, it was. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, it wasn't a great start, and Robbie, I think, O. Davis went off injured, and I played, you know, about 60 minutes at fullback, yep. scored a try. Um, we got beat, but I was the happiest person in Newcastle because I got a, you know, my first run. So you already played Reggie's, and then you yeah, come up. That was that was the days when you do that. So you're you're nursing a few bumps and bruises from playing reserve grade, and then you're going out to have your biggest moment in your life in first grade. So that's the way it used to be. Yeah. So when Robbie got injured, what happens? That Mal right really Mal, got just screws. Yeah. Yeah. Get You wow. You're on there with these blokes, and I hardly even really. I didn't, they, they wouldn't have known me hardly, some of them boys. So mm. it was a really, uh, had to get out there and earn their trust. And, you know, playing with blokes like Tony Butterfield, mm. Paul Harrigan, Mark Glanville, blokes that had, you know, been there since the start. It was uh, amazing. Um, you know, and then you had guys like, that were just uh, young 22, 23, 24-year-olds like um, Adam Muir, um, Andrew and Matt Johns, mm. these types of blokes. It was really, really amazing. Yeah, once you did crack it into first grade, did anyone in particular take you under their wing and just help you out a little bit? Um, look, I, I, I always had a connection with the Coalfields boys really well, which was Billy Peden, yep. um, you know, Andrew and Matty Johns were, you know, close. I knew uh, Joey from school. Yep. Um, so, yeah, but look, we just, we had this great, you know, Chief was just, he's born in Curry. We, we mm. connected straight away and to this day are great mates and, yeah, we had so many great leaders around. So we, I was very lucky and I, I look at some of these teams now and I say to me, I think, you know, these young blokes coming in, they haven't got that senior type players that I was lucky enough to have when I walked into first grade. Yeah. Had a real lot of leaders. Is it surreal the fact that in your debut year, you win the premiership? Some players, you know, we spoke about ET before. Yeah. As great as he yeah. is, he never won a premiership. Yeah. Do you ever like reflect on that and yeah. how lucky you were? Yeah, I sure do. Uh, it was about, I think, my tenth or twelfth first grade game that I won a premiership. So you just scratch your head, you know. Um, Mark Lambert was his last game for the Knights. Mm. He'd been there ten years, um, and then you got blokes like ET, Wayne Pearce, and all those guys never won a premiership. And here's me, snuck in, played ten or twelve games, and won one. So. The, the football gods were certainly shining on me that day. Yeah, you just mentioned Mark Glanville. He added a pretty emotional speech to the team, is that correct? The day before or the yeah, day Yeah, the day before we all had a uh, team meeting in our in our um, Chiefs room yep. the night before the game at Coogee Bay. And, um, yeah, it was, uh, it was really uh, an emotional... Uh, where everyone spoke and what it meant to them, and he, him and a lot of the other guys really emotional. So it was a, it was great to be in the room. Yeah, given you were 20 years old and after 12 games, what did you say to the to all these? I'm sure that you would have been admiring these guys for years. 
as a 20 year old what do you say to these guys yeah i, I think i just uh you know that, I, that i'm just it's just um, i can't believe i'm here and mm. i'm just going to do whatever i can to help you know you guys get this premiership that you deserve you know and um it was just yeah it was just mind-blowing to be part of it and you know the the lead up, the the way the town reacted. You know it was it was more than a game, and we knew that in the end. It was this town wanted they wanted we needed this win. We had B, we had the um, BHP closed down. We had things going on, and the town just just went behind this, and everyone was just following it. It mm. was unbelievable. When Joey went to dummy half for the match winning try that it set up for Darren Albert. Yeah. Do you remember what you were thinking and what you were because you would have been on the opposite side of the the wing on the other side wouldn't you no no so i i got the ball and 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 gave it to darren albert he went um he got played the ball i went down the short side Mm. there and then andrew went to dummy half and i often say to people that i called joey down the short side and he come down the short side and he was dummy in it and uh i'm begging him to pass me the ball i'm on the side and he dummied to me and give it back into darren albert so and I tell people that Darren Albert didn't buy a beer for 20 years after scoring that try. So if Joey gave that ball to me, there would have been a big saving. It would me. have been shouts all around. I was actually, if you look at the footage closely, I'm actually quite devastated in the corner that I didn't get the ball. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so what, what an amazing moment, yeah, just to see Darren Albert cruising. It was like surreal. It was, I remember just looking at it and just running in. I didn't really... I just ran, was running in towards him, going, "This is hap- like, is this happening?" You know, and the euphoria that surrounded that stadium. It, uh, it, it, you see it on TV now and again, and that still gives you shivers. You know, it's just, mm. just an amazing thing to be a part of. Yeah, given that you were boozy at the time, how many days celebrations did you guys have? Oh wow! Like the town just went off. Yeah. You know, it just went off. You know, we got the bus home. We went to Newcastle Workers Club. It was pandemonium everywhere, you know, on the streets, people everywhere. Um, then we were, you know, we just had our, we'd go pub crawling and all the pubs on mon- the Monday were full. Yeah. Um, and just emotional people, you know, just grandmas, kids, everyone just emotional and wanted to give us a pat on the back and, and thank us. And we did a street parade on about the Wednesday or Thursday. We went through the town and just, they lined the streets everywhere. I think they said there was about a hundred thousand people there. It was it was enormous. Yeah. So yeah, it's just just uh, just amazing. Hey guys, just another quick break in today's episode. I just wanted to bring you just a quick preview for our next episode. Next episode will be going to England, and we'll be hearing from New Zealand rugby league legend Robbie Paul. In my mind, him and his brother are probably the two greatest players never to play in the NRL, but they've dominated the Super League. For years and years and years. And here's a quick preview from the show with Robbie. Not only main exposure I'd had to action experience in Wembley was via the TV. And it's never the same experience as you know. Um, going to a live game and, and watching it on TV. Oh yeah. So so I was a bit naive and I think that was what really shocked me. I remember coming out of the changing room, lining up, and I was captain, and lining up against my um, opposite number Bobby Gilding who had played in these these levels magnitudes of game before as a Great Britain player and a, a successful St Helens player and I remember the first time getting rocked because Wembley the old Wembley had um, a tunnel and it actually was a tunnel they called it coming out of the dressing room now in the tunnel now but this was a proper tunnel 
and you, you change your room right at the bottom of the tunnel and you had to walk up to the, to, to the mouth of the tunnel which entered the stadium. And I remember the first time getting rocked because I looked up at the end of the stadium and it was just this aura coming through the mouth of the stadium. It was a really hot day and all you could see was a heat haze at the top of the tunnel just coming off the ground. Yes. And as we as we're walking up the tunnel, I just remember my legs feeling leaden as we got closer and closer. There's just a cacophony of noise streaming through the mouth of that tunnel and the, the the atmosphere and you could just feel it getting thicker and thicker. It was like a green mile, you know, with every step I took and my legs got heavier and heavier and then you get to the threshold of the mouth of the tunnel. And uh, it's not it's not like a, a normal game where you have their away team runs out first, so you have all their away team. Both, uh, both teams enter the stadium at the same time. So guys, be on the lookout for that one. They'll be coming out Thursday. If you haven't yet, please subscribe to the show via iTunes, Stitcher, Overcast, or you'll find it all online at www.talkingwithtk.com. If you want to get in touch with me, please tweet me at TalkingWithTK or send me an email, Tristan at TalkingWithTK.com. All right, guys, let's get back to the show. Just to your coach, Mal Riley, you know, he's an Englishman who came yeah. over. Yeah. What was the biggest thing? Because obviously it would have been something different because you would have had Aussie coaches your entire life. Yeah. What was it like being coached by an Englishman and what did he bring to the team? Oh, wow. He, he was a, such a leader and fierce. And, you know, even though he's getting a bit older, he would... He was still tough. He'd, he'd do gym. He'd, he'd sometimes get involved in the in the uh, defensive stuff. Like mm. real tough. And you know, you hear the stories about Mal Reilly, um, toughest one of the toughest players. And mm. and yeah, he's just one of them blokes that led by example. And he didn't say too much. Um, and was wasn't afraid to let uh, give youngsters an opportunity. Um, and you know, there's blokes like Owen Craigie, yep. very young at the time, Darren Albert, Matt Gidley. Uh, Danny Medeiros, all these young guys, um, mm. Mal, Mal never stood in their way. He, he gave them early opportunities. And I think that's one of the great things about Mal is he certainly put a lot of trust in you yeah. and you paid him back. Mark, on reflection now, you know, you know how hard it is just to win one premiership. How hard is it even to defend it and then you know, have to wait again for another opportunity just to get in? Have you had a chance to think which one was actually the most difficult? Oh look, um, yeah. They, to, to even get into a grand final is a huge thing. Mm. And um, I remember in 1998, we knew it was going to be tough. Um, having um, all the teams in the comp, um, and there was, you know, defending, we were defending premiers, and we did a pretty good job of it. Uh, to be fair, we, mm. we we were up there and you won um, premiers too, weren't you? Uh, you know what? We we could have been. Yeah, it rings a bell. Yeah, I think Chief told me you were. Yeah, but maybe he's telling the what, few. What happened? Um, we got some pretty serious injuries at the end, and yeah. we, we, in both semis in '98, we will give up. We give up leads, yeah. um, and we we get pretty really good effort. And if we, I think if we had our cattle all firing at the right time, we would have gave it a good shake. But there's lots of lots of teams with those stories. Yeah. Um, and to be honest, from 1997 through till about oh one oh two, well oh two probably. Every year we were we gave ourselves a really good chance. Mm. You know, we were right up there um, through different things. A couple, you know, sometimes some key injuries, um, which would cost us a bit. And um, but yeah, we were thereabouts. And in 2000, we we were playing the Roosters to get into the grand final. We were, yep. we were leading about 20 nil, and we at halftime we lost that game. Remember, that yeah. was that was pretty gut wrenching. And that was the last game of Tony Butterfield, 
Matt Johns, um, Pete, um, Dave Fairley, who had an awesome year that year. So that was a really gut-wrenching mm. loss, that one. Was um, the dressing room pretty devastated yeah, straight yeah, after? Yeah, it was, it was, that was probably the worst dressing room I've been in. Um, but, you know, then 12 months later, um, we had some new, fella, new young fellas coming in and um, we managed to beat Parramatta in the grand final, who they had a great mm. great season and a great year. So, um, look, um, I think uh, I was really, because um, 97 happened so quick for me, I really, uh, it was really great to, to enjoy that experience again uh, in 2001. Yeah, the 2001 grand final against Parramatta, you literally have the old bulls against the, the young bulls. You guys jump them from the start and get out to a very handy lead. Was that always part of the game plan to try and jump them early? Uh, we, we, we felt that um, with some of our really uh, great back, uh, back rowers like Steve Simpson, Ben Kennedy, we could um, hit them hard on the edges yep. uh, early. And, um, you know, full credit to our, our forwards, blokes like Matt Parsons and Josh, young Josh Perry, they really went well up the middle and we found a little bit of space on the edges. And, you know, when you got uh, Ben Kennedy was, was firing that year. Um, mm. And, of course, Andrew Johns, Danny Badiris at hooker. Um, you know, looking back on it, we had a great team. Um, and you look at amazing blokes like uh, Tamana Tahu, who was just just an amazing athlete, you know, to play with. Um, we had so many great players that mm. uh, now I look back and think, yeah, we probably should have won, and we did. Talking about great players, Andrew Johns. For everything that, you know, we've all seen what he does in the game, greatest player pretty much of all time. What was he like at training? Oh, he was, um, had high standards, you know. He expected the best out of you. Yeah. And sometimes you get frustrated because we weren't all exactly on his level, you know, yeah. with things. And he would get a little frustrated, but he demanded the best out of you. Um, a great mate of mine. We would we would play hard. Um, and we'd also, um, you know, enjoy... Uh, victories and we'd have, have some fun and he was just a amazing he, he brought out the best in all, all the blokes around him mm. and he actually made us better players than we were so very lucky to have him in, in, you know very happy to be and lucky to be playing alongside him when he was at the peak of his powers yeah with so many teams in Sydney you know do you think it's a huge advantage with Newcastle just having that whole team and the whole city just buying into that team. Is that a yeah. huge advantage? Yeah, feel? it's special, yeah, it is. And, yeah, there's no doubt about it that that one team, one town type, mm. you know, uh, us against them mentality is uh, is an advantage. And, um, and you know, Brisbane got it up there, Townsville, you know, that, those type of scenarios. It's a good tribal um, community yeah. feel. So I'm, I'm really hopeful that... Um, there's some really bright times coming for the Knights. I yeah. couldn't be excited, and I think Nathan Brown and, and everyone's heading in the right direction, and it's going to be a great year for the Knights. Yeah, I was going to ask you how you feel about the year ahead. You know, you old boys, do you guys, I know you guys have little catch-ups, but are you involved at any level going to training or maybe talking to some of these? Yeah, I, I'm actually just, um, I am going to be uh, doing uh, some stuff on game day for the Knights this yep. year, which I'm really excited about, and I've, I'm, you know, very grateful that, uh, Phil Gardner at the Knights. I've had a meeting with him, and he wants me to yeah do more stuff with the club. So I'm very excited because it's uh, you know my passions are, are my foundation in the Knights. Mm-hmm. So be good to do a bit with them. Yeah, definitely. 2001 was again a UG for you. You make your debut in State of Origin. What was yeah. it like actually going up to Suncorp yeah, Stadium and taking was, on the Queensland? That was amazing. You know, I I um, look. I had some luck. A few a few players that were more fancied got injured, mm-hmm. um, but I was there to take that opportunity and um 
Oh, I loved it. You know, playing with you know you know blokes like Brad Fittler and and uh, you know coached by Wayne Pearce. It was just yeah, it was really a great experience. Look, we got beat two one, which was mm. disappointing. Um, but personally, I felt like I, I gave you know gave my best, give give it all I could I could give. And uh, I was just so I'm grateful and thankful that um, you know I got that chance to play three Origin games. Yeah. You know, just just yeah, I was really grateful. Do you feel yourself as a player went to another level once you do get to taste Origin? Yeah, look, I think um, it gives you a lot of confidence. Yep. Um, and yeah, you just you're mixing with the best players, mm-hmm. so it does. Um, unfortunately, um, midway through or late mid to late 2002, the year after, I had a knee reconstruction, and that really uh, buckled a lot of things for me. Okay. So I, I was I did have a lot of momentum there, but it came at the wrong time. But um, up until then, I think the first hundred games, I I only missed a couple. I, I was really quick at the time. I think it was an NRL record from naught to 100 in on yep. calendar time. So I had a great run for for a little fella, and um, but um, you know it sort of did catch up with me, and in towards the back end of my career, had some injuries. So yep. that's just the way it goes. But was, yeah. was that one of the reasons why you went over to France? Yeah, yeah. Just I just um, I had you know a few injuries, and my, my time at the club was was getting uh, towards the end, and the best op- uh, for me and my family was to go over there and experience another country, and really. Um, it was grateful that I did that. Yeah. Once you make your decision to retire, Mark, you know, a lot of people struggle with transition. What was that experience like for you? No, nah, look, I, I was ready. I just knew that um, I had a great career. I uh, did way more than I thought I ever mm. would. And I just knew, right, out, draw a line in the sand. I've got to start again. And I've got to, uh, got to make this work now for me and my family. So mm. uh, I'm, I was lucky. I was one of them ones that was, was ready to, to make that change. Yeah. And what was your first job out of footy? Yeah, so at the time the Knights were involved with uh, Blue Tongue Brewery. Okay. Yeah, so I was. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> nice fit. Yeah, it was. So I was, um, you know, I went around and and started um, repping and meeting people and yep. gave me a lot of connections. So that was where I started with the Blue Tongue. How did the body adjust for not training as much? Um, yeah, look, I didn't. I, I was fine. I, yep. I did a little bit of touch footy and a little bit of running and. Um, actually, right now is the most I've trained since I, I finished. Yeah. And we've got this little morning training crew. It's yep. just been really great. And it's um, Matt and Kurt Gidley are with us, and okay. Paul Harrigan does it, Danny Badiris, uh, Steve Crow. Um, so we have this little crew that do 6 a.m. training, and that's been great. So I'm, I'm actually feeling really good at the moment. Who's leading the way in that one, Kurt? Kurt, yeah. Yeah, yeah he's, he's only just finished retired, last he? year, and Kurt's, he's the captain. He organises it. and yeah, it's great fun. Yeah, I was going to ask you about your wellness practice, especially now that you're kind of finishing your treatment and things like that. How much has that changed? Um, yeah, so I, I took up yoga yep. when, I got, when I became sick, and I found that really great for mind and body. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's something I took up. I, I, I did a bit of swimming, a lot of walking, a, lot of, a bit of jogging. Um, but, yeah, I just now I take health, try and make healthy choices and, mm-hmm. and keep myself really fit and and try and feel as good as I can. So uh, at the moment, it's right into this three or four days a week uh, training with the guys mm-hmm. and uh, really enjoying that. Fantastic. Now, I just want to ask you, you know, you've had so many magnificent leaders over time. It could have been a coach or player, even just an influence. Who do you think was the leader that touched you the most and what did you learn from them? Oh, look, um, my first captain in the first grade, uh, Paul Harrigan, without, you know, without a doubt, has been... A huge influence right up until you know mm. today for me. So um, just just his calmness, 
uh, the way he treats people. Uh, he, he's, he's how humble he is. Yep. Um, yeah, so a lot of that rubbed off on a lot of us boys. And um, and then in, in, in the last five years, he's like an ambassador for our foundation, along with Denny Badiris and, and Bill Peden. But look, lots of people help, but they're our yep. ambassadors. And uh, just what he does for us and with the beanies and... He went in the, I'm a celebrity, get me out of here. For, yep. You know, he's just done so much. So, yeah, Chief's someone that's rubbed off on a lot of people in around Newcastle. Yeah, Mark, I just want to ask you about success because you achieved pretty much the pinnacle in your first year of rugby league and you were a 20-year-old. Now that you're in your 40s, in terms of comparing success then compared to success, what it means to you now, is there a big difference? Um, well, yeah, so very... Success was very result-driven when I, when you're a player. Mm. You, know, you win, you lose, you're judged all the time. You know, success now is not is not a win and a loss. You know, success in life is is so much more important than a, a competition point. Mm. Um, so you know, I judge I judge people on the way they conduct themselves, the way they treat people, um, the way they live their life. Yep. Um, you know, that that's success now. So um, it's not about what you own. Or what you've got, or how many houses you got. It's, it's what you do uh, to help other people and make a difference, and um, that's the way I think uh, success should be judged. Absolutely. A couple of personality questions just to finish. Away from Marathon Stadium, Newcastle McDonald Stadium, I think it's called now. What was your favourite ground to play at? Uh, Sydney Football Stadium. Yep. Yeah, it's a good, good footy ground. Um, good, great memory from '97. Yep. Uh, we played some semis there. Uh, so I found that as a really a really great place to play. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah. Okay, final question. You're going to be hosting a private dinner party. You've got five invites. Now, you can invite anyone dead or alive, yeah. but you just can't invite any family or friends. Who would you like oh, to invite? Oh, wow. So I can't bring any friends. Um, well, um, who? Uh, so for a dinner party. So no friends. Um, I, yeah, I don't... Yeah, I don't know, mate. Um... There's no one that really... Who was your out. idol growing up? Any presidents? Prime no, ministers? Not really. No, you're not interested? No. Who could you go for a beer with? Um, I look, as a little young kid, I was a, a Parramatta supporter, real yeah. young, so it's been great to, to become friends with Sterla, yep. um, who was an idol of mine. Um, so, uh, yeah, that, things like that. But, yeah, other than that, I'm a little boring on that type of thing, mate. Doesn't matter. <laughs> All right, Mark, really appreciate you joining me today. Before I let you go, I just want to give a few contact details out, www.markusefoundation.com.au. Benny for Cancer Round is round 12 this year. Yeah, Benny for Brain Cancer Round. Um, please uh, get on our website or Facebook and just keep an eye on that. We're going to have all the, these new amazing beanies. We've got a lot to sell, so please, yeah. um, they're $20. Fantastic. Uh, they're, going to, they're going to be great, so yeah, keep an eye out for that. Yeah, so, so they can go on the website or at the games in that round? They're going to be at the games. They're going to, yeah, get on uh, the website or our Facebook yep. and uh, follow it from there. What colour is the beanies this year? Oh, that's a secret. secret? Can't sorry, tell you. sorry. You have to uh, stay tuned. Stay tuned. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Also, Mark also mentions his social media. So, Facebook, Mark Hughes Foundation, Twitter, Mark Hughes FDN, or Instagram, Mark Hughes Foundation as well. Sounds great, Tristan. Mark, my man, thank you so much for stopping by the podcast. I really appreciate Pleasure, it. Pleasure, mate. No worries. Thanks so much. Thank you. Guys, we hope you enjoyed the episode with Mark Hughes. Please continue to support. Just remember, round 12 will be Beanie for Cancer Round. It was huge last year. The beanies they bring out are absolutely amazing. So please want, please buy one and support the cause. Such a fantastic cause to raise awareness and support for brain cancer research. So please support the Mark Hughes Foundation. 
They can be found online at www.markusefoundation.com.au, Facebook, they're at Mark Hughes Foundation, Twitter, Mark Hughes Foundation, or Instagram, you'll find them at Mark Hughes Foundation. All right, guys, we really hope you enjoyed that episode. Like I said, next up, we've got Super League legend, Robbie Paul, plenty of leagueies and all sorts of sports coming up. So stay tuned. Mark Coyne from the St. George Illawarra Dragons legend. He'll be on the show. Plenty of the NRL boys are getting lined up as we speak. So please be on the lookout for those episodes. If you haven't yet, please subscribe to the show via iTunes, Overcast, or Stitcher. And please leave me a five-star review on iTunes if you've got access. Online, you'll find me at www.talkingwithtk.com. And I'd love to hear from you. So tweet me at TalkingWithTK or email me, Tristan at TalkingWithTK.com. Who do you want to see interviewed on the show? Who, what do you want me to make changes? Is it too long? Is it too short? Let me know. I always want to make it catered for you guys. So please get in touch. All right, guys. Really loved bringing this episode to you. I'm Tristan Cannell, and this was Talking With TK.